And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. So the title of this message is called Being a Christian in the Midst of Chaos. And what we're going to do this morning is understand Peter's passage, his writing to the Christians during this time. And we're going to do what's called bridging, uh, building a bridge, right? We're going to connect what was happening during this time and connect it to what's happening during our time. And we're going to bring these truths that Peter spoke to this group of Christians who were struggling in AD 60 through 70, and we're going to connect them to our time today. So if you have your Bible, let's, let's read along in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. Peter writes and says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins, showing hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, God, and I, I boldly approach your throne by the blood of Christ, and I, I ask, God, that you would speak this morning, that you would take your word, God, and, and break down the walls in our hearts. God, lift us up this morning, encourage us, exhort us, rebuke us if need be. God, help us see you this morning. We pray you do a mighty work in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we begin, let me kind of give you some background into the book of 1 Peter. It just happened to be um, our Sunday school lesson this morning. We're in 1 Peter, and so we're talking about this. And, and the book of 1 Peter, Peter's writing to Christians who are in what he calls the dispersion. Okay, what this means is that uh, during this time in Rome, there was some intense persecution happening. Nero, who is a certified whack job, um, he's, he's psycho. He's, I mean, literally... This guy was so self-consumed. He decided, most scholars and, and theologians agree, that he, he decided to burn down Rome, basically. And so three out of 14 districts were burned. Seven, um, excuse me, three out of 14 were burned completely to the ground. And seven were burned, and three sort of didn't really get touched. And, and people think that it was Nero who decided to start this fire. And Nero decided to use a scapegoat, and he blamed it on the Christians. And so uh, intense persecution was happening during this time when Peter was writing to this audience. And so this audience was living literally in a world of chaos. There was things happening, intense persecution. Not only that, but in AD 67, war broke out between Rome and the Jewish nation leaving pretty much the Jewish nation completely really destroyed. The temple was, was um, destroyed in, in Jerusalem, which was a prophecy of Jesus. And so the Christians found themselves living in a world of chaos, really things happening that were out of their control. There was um, really a time of confusion. Could you imagine 
not knowing what was going to happen when you left your house that day if you were a believer. Many of these Christians were experiencing that. So Peter's writing to encourage, exhort, and tell them how they should act in the midst of a world of chaos. And this is where we get in verse 7. He writes and says, The end of all things is at hand. Now, some people disagree on what Peter was meaning. Most people agree and believe that he was speaking of the imminent return of Christ. That was the view held during this time, and even today we know that Christ can come at any moment. All right, there's no, people want to look for signs. Yes, there's signs, and we can debate and argue that all of those have already happened, but regardless, we know that Christ's return could be any moment. And so Peter's writing saying, listen, the end is at hand. Everything that we know in the world is coming to an end. I don't know about you, but if I was living in that context, and even now, that's sort of what I would call a grab-you-by-the-shirt statement, right? If somebody's saying, hey, listen, everything in the world is about to end completely, how many of you would be like, well, let me go finish my Modern Warfare game on PlayStation 4? No, right? You would be getting your affairs in order. You'd be figuring out what you need to do. And so I think about that moment. It reminds me of a time when I was in high school. My freshman year, I was playing basketball. We were in a tournament playing Rickards, who's really good at basketball, when we were not really good at basketball. And it was, we, were in, uh, we were in overtime. There was like five seconds left on the clock. We were down by two. Coach calls a timeout, and he brings us in a huddle. And I don't, for whatever reason, I remember like in the background hearing music. I remember hearing the crowd just, you know, going wild. But it didn't matter how loud everything else was. I was so focused on what my coach was saying in that moment. It was like he had me by the the shirt because that moment was so intense. It was so surreal, right? It it was in the moment. Um, Long story short, I lost the game, uh, by the way. Uh, he called a play for me. It was an alley, uh, alley to me from the sideline, if you know anything about basketball. And I caught the ball, and I panicked, and I threw it up, and I missed. Um, but, you know, whatever. I'm not thinking about that anymore. <laughs> but it's one of those situations where when he says the end of all things is at hand, you know that this statement, what comes next, is very important. And I want to read this verse this morning, just kind of give some context into, really, to me, it speaks truth about um, our situation we're living in the world right now. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes to Timothy and, and talks about how godliness in the last days is going to come. Let me read this to you. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Now, if Paul was writing to Timothy during this day and age, let me just say something. It is getting worse. As the end is drawing near, you can be assured that things are going to get worse, not better. And the world we live in right now, look at it. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of good. There's being laws passed in our, in our country right now that are solely focused on pleasure, not on truth, 
Anyways, that's not part of my sermon. I need to stop. But clearly, we understand that the end is at hand. Amen? It's coming. And praise God, let Christ come. We want Jesus to come back. We want him to come and restore what is good. And so by saying the end of all things is at hand, sort of this grab you by the shirt statement, what Peter says next is very important. Listen to what he says. Now, first of all, let me, let me explain something. If I were writing this letter saying the end of all things is at hand, I'm just going to tell you what I probably would say. Everything is about to end, so you need to go ahead and go to the grocery store and stock up upon the food and toilet paper that you can. Or the end of all things is at hand. You need to go ahead and get all your family together and you need to just kind of bunker down in your house and save yourself. To me, that would make sense, right? If the end is coming, then I'm going to make sure that I'm going to be okay, that everything is going to be great. But watch what Peter does. The end of all things is at hand. And notice what he says. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of of your prayers. Literally, Peter is saying, do these things, here's what is important, that you have a clear communication with God. That's his focus, is your prayer life. He says, and, and to me, out of everything that Peter could have mentioned, he tells believers that they need to be serious and watchful in their prayers. Think about this, right? When COVID hit, I don't know about you, but praying to God was a big, yeah, in my mind, that makes sense, but going to the grocery store and getting things that I needed, that was a little more on my priority list, right? And, and maybe you don't, you know, you didn't experience that, but I, I felt there was inside of me, I had to go and make sure everything was going to be okay. And that's not wrong in a sense, right? But the first thing that came to my mind wasn't, oh no, there's things happening in the world, I need to, I need to get down on my knees and pray, And so you think about the context that, that Peter's writing in, right? He's telling them to be self-controlled, just be sober-minded. And, and to, to me, it most likely meant that their prayer life needed to be free from the distractions, mainly the distractions of panic, emotional instability. And it was clear that this probably was happening from the stress of the world around them. Sound familiar? How many of you wake up in today in today's world and you feel the stress of the world. If you've been living under a rock, you know, you probably don't know, but most of us understand that our world right now as we know it is in chaos. So in effect, Peter says, don't let your current situation get your prayer life distracted. In the midst of chaos, Christians should devote themselves even more to prayer. I love this quote from J.B. Phillips. He says, watching sights the enemy, praying fights the enemy. I feel like in our Christian culture, we have developed such a good um, attribute of citing what is wrong, Right? We have such a great ability to point out faults and failures in, in our culture, in politics, in our society. We, we can easily cite what is wrong. But as J.B. Phillips says, praying is what fights 
the enemy. So it makes me think in my mind, do I pray more about issues that I see or do I talk about it more? Do I complain about it more? Do I gossip about it more? Or am I committed more to prayer? So Peter says, listen, in the midst of a world of chaos, you need to be serious and devoted in your prayer life. Then he goes on in verse 8. He says, after that, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And it's almost as if Peter was telling them, we need to, and telling us, we need to pay close attention to our fellowship with one another. We need to seek out ways to love, especially to believers. And I, I think about, you know, everything going on right now in our country seems to be so divided. And you look at what is God calling us to do in this moment? We know he's calling us to love. He's calling us to love one another in the same love that he has shown us. And you say, well, how can we love like that? Well, 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. And then he says, since love covers a multitude of sins. And I'll be honest with you, when I was preparing for this sermon and I saw that, since love covers a multitude of sins, my mind began to wander. I'm thinking, what is Peter talking about since love covers a multitude of sins? Is he talking about my love for one another will sort of just erase people's sins? Is he talking about is this love, it, does it just wipe out and, and create, you know, this clean slate for people? That's not what he's talking about. As I was studying more, what I'm seeing is that this idea, since love covers a multitude of sins, he's talking about how true love has the power to overlook minor faults and failures in our brothers and sisters. Think about that. How many of you in here can stand up right now and say that there's no faults and failures in your life? You'd be a liar. Because there is. In, in my life as well, there's things where I have fallen short to the glory of God, right? And I think about this, right? If Hunter Reeves right here, I'm going to call him out. wasn't planning on this, but he likes it. Just kidding. So I've been, I've been sort of trying to mentor Hunter. He's come on as uh, what we call the youth ministry intern. And I'll just be honest with you, brother, you got a lot of faults, all right? Not as many as uh, Hunter Orr. Where's he at? I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But how, how encouraging would it be if I sat Hunter down and I said, all right, man, here's a list of everything that you're falling short in, right? Would you walk away encouraged? No, you wouldn't, right? And so I think about in love, what does that look like? It looks like loving you even in the midst of your faults and your failures. That's what it means to overlook and to love, it covers a multitude of, of, of faults and failures. And then I think about the church right now. Not just our church, but the church globally. How many arguments have gone on in churches? How many church splits have happened because of minor faults and failures? Now, I'm not talking about you know, things in people's lives where we need to come to them and talk about, we need to uh, address sin in their life, right? If, if a pastor's living immorally, we need to address that. If somebody in the congregation is, is living in a way that needs to be addressed, we need to address that. But I think about this idea of loving one another in the church. 
How many times do we get divided over something that's insignificant? I've heard stories of churches in this county that have split because of the color of the wall. I think about our church. How many, how many divisions are there right now? Some of us don't even want to sit on the same side of the room as people. Is that love? Is that earnestly loving one another? And that's just in the church. How can we expect to go into the world and love one another and love our neighbors who don't look like us, think like us, if we can't even love our people in the, in, in the very church we attend? And so Peter says, listen, we love because he first loved us. Could you imagine if Jesus came to you and said, you know, I love you, but here's a list of all your faults and failures. I'm just going to throw them at you. He doesn't do that, does he? He loves us. And as scripture says, he died for us while we were still sinners. Could you imagine if your spouse did that to you? Like I think about, uh, my wife's not here, but she can testify to you, there's a lot of faults and failures in my life. Could you imagine if I came home one night and she just said, all right, here's a spreadsheet of everything that you've been doing this past week, right? How encouraging would that be? Like, <laughs> oh yeah? Let me type up your spreadsheet. That's not love. No, love overlooks those minor faults and failures when I chew with my mouth open and it aggravates her. Love overlooks those things. How are we to love the world if we can't even love one another in this building? So he says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. This word earnestly means to seek it out. Show ways. How, how can you show ways and go out of your way to love your brothers and sisters? And if we are to do that in the world, then we need to do it under this roof. And then he goes on and says in verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling, right? This is a great way that we show love for one another. Think about Peter's context, right? The, the church found themselves in the midst of chaos, in the midst of persecution. Now, I don't know about you, but if I, find, I, I was in that situation, there would be a temptation in my mind to gather what I needed for my family and to sit back and hunker down, right? And, and, and to me, it's almost like Peter's saying, listen, seek out ways to show hospitality, right? You probably, during these times, couldn't go to the market openly because of intense persecution, you probably couldn't, you know, go to the water well and, and just grab water whenever you wanted because if somebody cited you as a Christian, you, you were going to be persecuted. So Peter's almost telling them in their context that we shouldn't be focused on ourselves. We should be focused on how we can serve others. One of my favorite verses that's a lot of times overlooked is in Philippians chapter 2. Paul's writing, he says that we are to have the mind of Christ, not only looking to our interests, but also to the interest of others. And people use that verse to say how we should be completely outward focused, but Paul doesn't say that we can't look after our own interests. There's never in the Bible says that we can't look after our family. In fact, you would be a bad husband or a bad father if you didn't take care of your family. 
That's not what showing hospitality means, but rather what, what Peter's getting at here is that we shouldn't be focused on ourselves in the midst of a world of chaos. We should have, in a sense, some focus on outward things, on people around us, our neighbors, how we can serve them, and especially church members. Showing hospitality means meeting people's needs, and Peter says that we are to do it joyfully without complaining and without false motives. Our purpose in showing hospitality should be to show kindness in the name of Jesus with no thought of being repaid. And that's hard to do, especially in the middle of a pandemic when toilet paper is running low. And you know that if you gave this role, you might not have enough for you. And that's where faith comes in. It's understanding that in your giving, you trust God that he's going to provide for you. He's going to take care of you. And that's a hard thing to do when things look so uncertain. Then you get down to verse 10. And Peter says, As each has received a gift, we are to use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So essentially, Peter's saying that we are to use our gift that God has given us as good stewards for the church. So in times of difficulty, we are not to be a people who shrink back in fear, nor are we to be unwise, but we should seek to serve the church with our gift. In the midst of chaos and fear, we continue to be a beacon of light and hope to a lost and dying world. And as individual members of the church, we each have a gift and a role that should be used to be lights in the dark world. And so I love how Peter is kind of forming this argument, um, talking about the end of all things is at hand, and he goes through saying, here's what we need to be focused on, right? And notice what he gets in verse 10. We are to continue to serve, Think about the, the ramifications of what it meant for the Christians during this time period. If, if they got caught meeting, what would happen? Well, they run the risk of, of essentially dying. And here, Peter exhorts them saying, keep focused. Continue to serve one another with the gift that God has given you. And then you go down to verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And so essentially, Peter kind of closes this and says, even in the world of chaos, our aim as Christians is to glorify God through Jesus Christ. Wars, famine, pandemics, social reform, persecution, do not change the Christian's goal in glorifying God in all that we do. So that's a lot of information. That's a lot of points. Let me summarize it for you in five things that Peter is saying. So the end of all things is at hand. We can easily translate that to our situation right now. The world is in a, a complete chaos. Here's what out of these uh, passages, we can take five truths, what Peter is calling Christians to do. Number one, to be serious and focused about our prayer life. Number two, to be serious and genuine about loving 
one another. Number three, to be serious and intentional in showing kindness to everyone. And number four, to be serious and committed to using the gift God has given you for the church. And number five, we're to be serious and mindful that, that our aim in this life is to glorify God. And so, if you would have told me five years ago that in 2020, we would be living in a world like this, right? I, I would have said, yeah, right, there's no way, first of all, that Trump's going to be president, um, like 10 years, yeah, um, there's no way that these things would have been happening, right? And, and you look at the world we live right in right now. Christians have a unique opportunity to show the grace of God. We have a unique opportunity to love people even, watch this, when we disagree with them. We have a unique opportunity to support and be a part of, of growing the kingdom of God in a dark and dying world. And so I have to ask myself, and I'm asking you this morning, in all of these things that's happening in our world right now, are you focused on these five things? Being committed to prayer, loving one another, showing kindness and hospitality, using the gift God has given you and glorifying God. What are you focused on during this crazy time we live in? Can you honestly say with confidence that from this passage, our life reflects what Peter says? And I'll be honest with you, I struggle with this. I see this world and I'm thinking like, man, I'm about to move to New Orleans, a city where it's, it's already chaos, right? There's already crazy stuff happening. And then you throw in all of the things that are happening right now with, and that are political with a pandemic and all of these things. I'm like, man, God, I, I, I fear. Like I'm thinking like, should I go and, and buy guns and ammunition? Should I go and do all these different things? And this passage reminds me of what I'm to be focused on. One, I should be even more committed to prayer. I should seek ways to show love to those who don't look like me or think like me. And the truth is, when we think about this passage, I know for me, I need to repent. I need to confess my sin. I need to ask God for grace that I would look more like the child he's called me to be. And I'm going to assume that you do as well. So what areas in your life do you see yourself uh, giving in to fear, giving in, giving in to uh, worry and doubt? And I would encourage you to take a look at your life and say, you know what? I do need to be praying more. In the light of everything that's happening right now, I need to be seeking ways to show compassion, to show love, so that in everything that you do, God is glorified. That's the aim of the Christian, is to glorify God in all that we do. Let me pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for this word. Thank you for uh, this passage, God, and, and giving us wisdom to see that in the midst of chaos, this is what you've called us to be. You've called us to do. And God, I pray for all of us that we will be encouraged, that we would continue to seek these things, God, that above all, we would seek to love one another, God, because you first loved us, even when we didn't deserve it. 
You've, you've forgiven us. You've drawn us to yourself. God, I pray that you would help us leave this morning and think on these things, God. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.